We are in a series called um, Idols of Our Heart. Pastor CJ uh, kicked this off last week. And so uh, this is one of these series that is going to, it's continuing to swell, literally. We were sitting in the office this week and we began, we were talking about things and on our whiteboard, I've got a list of of stuff that can become idols uh, within our hearts. And it's just like, holy cow, this is getting bigger. And and it's really exciting. And and, um, I know that God's been working in my life way before this series was ever really, let me say it this way. I think this series has been birthed a long time ago. And so now it's kind of cool because for some of us, like myself and CJ and a couple I think elders and a couple others are having one of those aha moments like, oh, aha, this is where, this is why this was happening. And so we are extremely excited to, uh, uh, to see where this is going. So I pray that you will be too. And, that you, and, I, and I can promise you, you're going to be challenged throughout this series. And so I pray that you'll just stick with it and allow the Holy Spirit to just come into your life and, and do an incredible work, especially uh, here at the onset of 2012. And uh, I pray that our church will just become a church that is following hard after God and uh, just uh, wanting to see what He has for us. Um, if you were here back in October, I'm going to share a story uh, from my life that, that may sound a little familiar. Uh, but, and if so, please just humor me. But um, back in October, I got a phone call from... Uh, well, let me put it this way. My, I knew my dad was going in for... Um, for a stress test on his heart. He had had absolutely no uh, indication whatsoever that there was anything wrong with his heart. Um, he, no symptoms, no signs, absolutely nothing. When I say nothing, nothing. Uh, and so upon the urging and, and, and leading of a nudging of my mother, uh, she, she just told him, she said, listen, you know, we're, they're like in the early 70s. And she said, I just want you to go, just humor me. Just, I just want you to go and, hum- you know, uh, humor me. And so as, as he went to do that stress test, uh, they live in Pennsylvania. As they went to do that stress test, uh, they came back to him uh, during the test, and they said, uh, we're going to transport you to another hospital because you have to have some stents put in your heart. And that was like a shock. It was like, whoa, are you kidding me? You know. And so as we begin the process as a family, I remember getting the phone call, and it was like, you know, you're concerned, but you're like, well, they do this procedure all the time. It's really no biggie. And, and being in the ministry, my dad's pastor too, being in the ministry like we are, we have been through many procedures like this with you guys and your families and, and walked that journey with you as well as other churches and stuff like that. A lot of people. And so with that, after you get that initial shock or that initial uh, uh, news, uh, you kind of relax a little bit and process it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they took him to another hospital, <clears throat> and they begin to do the procedure of uh, doing some stents. When they begin to go in to do the stents, they came back again, and they said, you need to choose whether you're going to Hershey or Harrisburg, because you're going to have open-heart surgery. That was a shock. And I don't know if you've ever had that type of news, but for, even for a family member uh, some hundred, you know, a couple hundred miles away over here in Michigan, I was... I was pretty, I was pretty you know, emotionally upset thinking, holy cow, what's going on? I mean, no sign of heart trouble whatsoever, nothing, absolutely no sign of heart problems. Uh, within our family, we have good hearts, that's phys- you know, literally and figuratively, right? Um, I don't know why you laugh, but anyhow, um, so, um, so, I mean, it's, 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 it was just like a shock. It was like, holy cow, you're kidding me, you know? And so what, what they found was they found four main arteries or four arteries uh, that had 90-some percent blockage in them. And it was like, what? I mean, what? Why? No signs, no symptoms. Like, you're just kind of like your jaw just kind of drops like, holy cow, what's going on, you know? 
And so, you know, as I was thinking about where we're going with this breaking the idols of our hearts, this, it just connected so real to me because I think there's a lot of times with us, some of us sitting in here today, we are absolutely oblivious that we have some idols erected within our hearts. And God's saying, I want to work on these. I want to root these out. And guys, that's what happened to me um, probably leading up to this series, you know, probably over a year ago. I didn't know it then, but God started digging. God started uh, looking at some stuff. And then even as I you know, uh, am able to kind of pull back and see the forest now, um, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to realize that this thing, this work that God was doing within my heart and in the heart of the staff and some of the elders and things like that has been brewing for some time now. It's been going on. We, had, we didn't see the signs, and that's what's scary. A lot of times we don't see the signs physically. We don't see the signs like my dad. We didn't see any sign. His blood work came back great. Uh, no cholesterol. I mean, uh, he was, I think, on a cholesterol med, but it was very low, very minimal. I mean, absolutely nothing, and yet he had 90% uh, blockage. And to me, that's very scary. You know, I'm in my mid-40s now, and I'm like, holy cow, I've got to lose weight. I've got to get in shape. I mean, you just don't know. He had a brother that was six years old older than him. And in 2005, his blood work, all that stuff came back great. Um, in, at the beginning of 2005, or Christmas of 2005, he went out to do something, uh, walk his dog or something. And, uh, they live kind of like on a little farm in Brooklyn. He drops over dead. Just bang, dead. It's like, how, you know, and countless stories. You're sitting in here today and there's countless stories. I mean, I'm sure that you have some in your life where you could say, that's some of the stuff that's happened within my life and my experience too. No indication, no warning lights, nothing. And so today, this series, or last week, we are kicking off this series. We're going to start taking a critical look at our hearts. Because just as our physical hearts sometimes don't give indication, sometimes we're not in tune with the indication, the signals, the symptoms, and things like that, that our spiritual hearts are giving out saying, we've got idols, we've got idols, we've got some things taking place. Listen to what Jeremiah says, or God says through the prophet Jeremiah about our hearts. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Do you remember Jesus, if you read that passage of uh, scripture in the Gospels where Jesus tells the people it's not what goes in your mouth, but it's what comes out that it indicates your spiritual life is off, your heart is off? That's scary to me. Uh, elsewhere, Ezekiel, I think CJ might have read this last week, Pastor CJ, the people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and they've fallen into sin. One of the worst things that can happen is that if these idols go undetected, and this is exactly what happened in, in the... Um, Back in the days of Apostle Paul, or actually within the life um, of, of God's creation, uh, Paul writes about this. And one of the worst things that can happen, if these things go undetected, or worse yet, God, God exposes these idols into your life and you don't do anything about them. Uh, Paul writes in Romans one twenty four that God could abandon them, meaning so God abandoned the people, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their, what? Their hearts desired. It's off. Our hearts are off at times. And we've got to be very careful to take a critical look to make sure our hearts are in line. Now, um, as we look at this, one of the things we need to understand right off the bat is the fact that we were created to do simply one thing, and that is to give God glory. That's why we were, that is why you were created. You weren't created to do whatever you think else than that is wrong. You were created to do nothing else but to bring God glory. Now, I don't know how that looks. Whatever job you have, it doesn't matter. Really, it doesn't matter. All these other things that we stress out about, all these other things that we fret about, these decisions that we're going to make, all this other stuff, 
Our lives were created from the very get-go to bring God His glory. When we begin to understand that that's all, it's all about God, it starts with God, ends with God, Romans what is that, 11.26, it all starts with God, ends with God, it's about God's glory. When we begin to understand that, that's when, we start, that's when our perceptions, our, our thinkings are becoming correctly. Our thinking is becoming correctly. And so we have to understand that we were created to do nothing but to bring God glory. I don't know what that looks like in your context. I don't know what type of job you have. I don't know what school you go to. I don't want neighbors you're around. I don't know any of it. But as that filters out, you were created to bring God glory. Paul says this, we were saved to do, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, he says this, salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us could boast about it. I mean, we learned that it's about grace and mercy, but I think as I started reading this, I'm like, you know, this is very interesting because I've always read it from uh, the aspect, and it very well could mean that. I don't want to look too much into Scripture, but, so, you know, it could mean that, uh, or we've often been taught that there's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to earn our salvation. I get that. I believe that 100%. But if we take a different kind of perception, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us could boast about it. But also we could say salvation illuminates or illustrates that we are God's masterpiece. Every single one of us is sitting in here is, a, is God's masterpiece, and he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Ephesians, Paul talks about this incredible knowledge that God had before the, before the earth was even created, uh, this knowledge that he had of us and, and how we were predestined for these things. We were created to bring God glory. You were saved to bring God glory. We believe in total depravity here, which states this. In our original state, when we're born into this world, in our original state, fallen state, we are inclined to sin. Give us the opportunity, we're going to sin. It's all about us. We're focused about our, on, our, on ourselves. When we become saved, when, Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Christ, it takes on new meaning because now it's not about us, but it's about Him. Giving Him glory. Uh, giving Him the glory that He so deserves and, and that it's about Him, period. And so those two things we have to truly understand, especially as we go into this series, understanding this whole concept of idols of our hearts. And here's the issue. If there's no way possible that you can give God glory, bring God glory, by having idols within your hearts. Now, I get it could be a byproduct, but it's not you doing it intentionally. Does that make sense? God can make the rocks cry out. The word, you know, the, the word teaches us. But my point I'm trying to make is, if you have idols within your heart, you can't intentionally, you're, you're, you're off. It's about you, and it's not about God. And we just read some of the things that takes place uh, when we have idols within our hearts. Now, with that, I want to share with you um, a very personal um, piece of my life with you guys. And, and, and when I, we started uh, taking a look at this series, and when I started looking at this particular message, I thought, holy cow, I'm going to have to share something that's very personal. And, and, and so I just want to share, I'm going to share something with you. Um, back probably, man, it's like 15 years ago, at least. 15 years ago, this, this is how far back it goes, uh, or, or more even, when I started off into the ministry, as a pastor, we're considered self-employed. We're, we're considered self-employed, okay, in the eyes of the government. Now, if you're if you have your own business and and you, and you know what you know, you're self-employed. You know, you understand what that means. It means essentially that you hold out your tax. This is where I'm going with it. You hold out your taxes and pay your taxes quarterly. That's one of the um, uh, the things that you have to do being self-employed. 
Um, one of the things that I did not do when I was when uh, being self-employed was at one point I did not withhold enough taxes. Actually, I withheld enough taxes, but I dipped into it because I wanted to do some other things with that money. Okay, essentially what I was doing, I was borrowing from the government. Now I don't know if you've ever tried to borrow uh, from the government. Let me just share with you that's not a good lending agency. The government doesn't like that, okay? Just if you haven't done that. And, and, and as I share this story, I don't want to make light of it because it's a very embarrassing story, but, on, but, but, on the, but it's a story that I need to share with you. And so um, as we, um, you know, and, and it's right around the time we got married and things like that, as we began to um, uh, kind of engage in that whole process where I didn't pay enough taxes at one point in time, uh, we had a, a, a debt to the, you know, with back taxes, which we started making payments on. We made payments on this debt until like 2010. That's how long this went because of the fines and penalties and things like that. Now, let me share with you what took place. We, when this began, when this happened, I didn't go to Actually, let me go back one slide. I'm jumping ahead of myself. I want to give you the definition of an idol. It's this. Is any, it's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. That's the definition we're going to use. That comes from Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. An excellent book. If you want to pick it up and read it, we're using some of his thoughts within this particular series. But... Um, Anything that's more important to you than God, anything that's going to absorb or take away your attention, that's going to demand your focus, that's going to take away uh, more of your imagination, whatever it is that when you that that um, you know, that you seek, when that when you start begin to do that, and it takes more than God, you've got yourself an idol. And so we're going to use that. So here's the here's the issue. Anytime you go to make a decision of whether you want to switch careers or buy something, or it doesn't matter. Anytime you want to make a decision, lay it up against this and find out if it's or not within your life. Now, back to my situation. Um, I had something within my heart where um, the things that God blessed me with weren't good enough. When I look back at it, that's what it was. The things that God had blessed me with, the life that God had blessed me with, um, you, know, and, 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 you know, the resources and things, uh, when I look back, I think what it was, my heart was in a position where I was saying, God, this isn't good enough, I need more, right? And so I would, you know, in, in this particular situation, I found resources uh, in the wrong place, to, to fill that void, what I thought was a void. And so whatever it was within my heart became an idol. And so what happened is we accrued this debt that we made payments on uh, that just continued on for years and years and years. During this time, we prayed and prayed and prayed about this. God, would you please remove this debt because this is impossible to pay off. This is imp- I mean, it's literally impossible with the fines and the um, uh, fines and penalties and stuff like that. I mean, it is literally... An, an, it just, impossible. Uh, we continued to make payments, but it was just, it just, it was almost overwhelming. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you get to the point where, you know how it is when you pray about something and God doesn't answer, you begin to question, okay, am I being punished now, right? I mean, it's like your theology and all that kind of goes out the door and you begin to get really real personal with it. Okay, so I made this mistake, God, am I going to pay for this for the rest of my life? Is that how it works? And so, um, you know, we're, we're on this little journey. So obviously the payment or the, um, the, the prayer that we're giving here is this. God, we're in debt. I want to be out of debt with this one, right? I want you, God, take this away. You know what I was praying for? A bailout. 
before bailouts were even made popular, I was praying for a bailout because I was saying, God, I got myself in this situation. I need to get out. Can you please do something about this? And I mean, we prayed and prayed and prayed. God, send us the money. God, do something. Have someone come in our life. You know, we read about stories. Have someone come in my life that's going to see this and it's going to remove it for me. And that's how we prayed. And one day we went to the mailbox and would you believe there was a check in our mailbox for the exact amount for that debt? And paid that debt off. I wish, don't believe it, because that's not what happened. Okay? <laughs> that would be a cool story. But that's not what happened. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. That was my prayer. That was my wife and I. Uh, that was our prayer. God, take this away. Make a miracle happen. Take it away. During this whole time, we're talking, I mean, we're talking 14, 15, you know, it, we're talking a long time. During this whole time, we're trying to have a family. And, and as I've shared this with you before, too. We were unable to have a family, and at some point in there, you kind of, you give up hope. And you say, you know what, this isn't working. We need to go to plan B. I don't know what plan B is, but we need, we need to go to plan B if we're going to have a family. And so we started looking down the, um, you know, the, the thoughts of adoption and, and, and things like that. And so as we begin getting into all of this, uh, I mean, these things are going on simultaneously. As we, begin, as we started getting into this, God says, God comes to me. And, and again, I'm not relating everything together, but as I, as I got into this, God says, Gail, I'm going to answer your prayer, but I'm going to answer it my way. And, and, and I didn't see any of this but uh, because I was looking at the family and, 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 and that side of things. And God says, I'm going to answer your request about a family, uh, but I need to work on something. I need to work on your heart. You've got something in there that needs to be dug out. You've got some stuff in there that it's about you, and this isn't about you. And God began to reveal some stuff to me that I had a control issue. I remember when I moved here back, in, and I shared this with you, but I remember when I moved back here in 2006, uh, to, and at that time, that was before we became multi-site, and I came on staff here, uh, we came and we kind of shared our story a little bit, and Beth Abbott, who were, at the time worked at the Family Counseling uh, Services in Adrian, uh, which is a foster to adopt, that's the side she worked on, she approached me and said, hey, would you guys consider foster to adopt? In which I said, absolutely not. Why not? I don't have control. You, are, you, you, know, you want me to entertain the thoughts of a couple kids coming into our lives, and then you know, the, whole, you know, the, the, the ideal concept of foster to adopt is reunification with a family. And I'm like, I, I don't want that to happen. We want to adopt. I don't want some kids to be placed into my life, kids that I don't know control, kids that I, I don't know their background control, kids that you know, they may come into my life and, and, and then they may be re- reunified with their parents control. I, don't, I don't, just don't have any say on any of that stuff control. Right? And God begins to work in my, begin to work in my heart, saying, Gail, you got control issues. To the point to where one Christmas, now we're going to fast forward here, uh, you know, about 2010, God, we're taking down our Christmas decorations, and God comes to me and he says, Gail, this control issue, this heart issue, we're going to start digging it out. I'm going to bless you. And, and, and as I look at it, I can see where God said, I'm going to bless you with a family but it's not going to be the way you want it. And he begins to say, you know, he told us, he said, you know what, he told me, he said, you are in this picture, but you're not the center of it. And I was like, you're right. 
And so through this process, uh, we reconnected re, uh, with some, uh, some, some things, but we went back to the whole concept of fostering to adopt. During this time, we had checked all, out all other kinds of agencies and things like that about adopting, and none of it worked out because it wasn't God's plan for us. And so God began to take us down this journey, and he began to, to work on my heart and, my, and, and things within my life with control and this whole adoption thing. And then in 2010, 2011, um, we were given three kids, two girls and a boy, to adopt, where God blessed us with a family. God says, on this whole process, God says, I'm going to answer a prayer here, but it's going to look a little bit differently. And so God, God um, enables us to adopt three kids. He enables us to have a kid of our own, a child of our own. Now, I've got to be very careful, and I want to, I want to communicate very clearly I don't want you to hear me saying that we love our natural born over our, the ones that we adopted. That's not what I'm trying to say. But as I look at it and I see it, I see them both separate blessings from God. Uh, huge blessings. So he blesses us with three kids. We're able to have a, a natural chi- a child on our own. And then God does something like only he can do. He, uh, in the year, of, I think it was 2011, something like that, the government had this thing that said if you adopted so many, if you adopted kids, you will receive a substantial tax deduction or a tax credit. Which goes back to our debt. And then God resolves our debt, and then through this whole process, my wife is able to stay at home with our family. Now, let me go through that again, because that was very choppy. I'm praying for God to get us out of debt. We're praying for years. We're praying for something that feels like a noose around our neck that's drowning us. And it's very embarrassing. I don't want to share it with other people because it's very embarrassing. I mean, you know, I'm a pastor. I've, you know, I should have all this stuff together, yet I slip up, you know, back in years, and I'm paying for it years after that. And so I'm praying diligently about this stuff, and I'm praying that God would just give me a bailout. God, just send me a bailout. God, just do something. And God says, you know, when I look at this, God said this, God, Gail, I'm going to answer your prayer, but I'm going to do it to where I'm going to receive glory, and I'm going to do it in a way that you could never imagine. By giving you a family. Now, I don't know about you guys with families, but would you ever think that that's a way to get out of debt? <laughs> Do, seriously. Not one person in here would say, hey, have a bunch of kids. That'll get you out of debt. No one would say that. Only God would do something like that. Why? Because God does stuff that doesn't make sense. That's the beauty of God. The beauty of God, he didn't answer my prayer. He didn't, uh, he didn't answer the prayer the way I prayed it. That's the beauty of God. God said, oh, I'm going to bring myself glory. I'm going to answer your prayer, but I'm going to bring myself some glory here. And God said, God started working on my heart, and he started changing me. We were able to have a family, and then we're able to get out of debt by having a family. And on top of that, we're able to cut our income so that my wife can stay at home with our kids. Guys, there's not, I don't care if you're financial planners in here. I know Brian Knopfsinger is a CPA, but I guarantee you there is no way that any of you would sit down and say, this is how I'm going to get you out of debt. There's not, I would not buy that in a million years. There's not a single person that would sit in here and, or that could say that. God you know, and, and again, I get how this story ends, out, ends up kind of good. And I know that some of you have been praying for some things, but I want to tell you something. God will answer your prayer. It may be differently. It may not look like the way you want it to be answered. And that's the cool thing, because when God answers a prayer, God brings himself glory. And that's why we were created. 
God will use anything within her, in our lives to bring himself glory. Now, here's the other kicker. You know, as I begin to process this, you know, this week, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this, this whole thing is about where we are with the idols in our hearts. This, you know, this concept that we can't bring God glory if we got idols within our hearts. And God wants to root those things out so that he can, you know, he can receive his glory through our lives. As I started thinking about this, I'm like, this is my story. God blessed us like fourfold, fivefold than I even thought about, you know. And, and, and so as I began to process this, I began, my human side said, whoa, hang on a second. What will people think? You're going to share something pretty personal. And I went home and I shared this with my wife and she got kind of quiet too. I said, what are you thinking? She said, this is, this is pretty personal. This is pretty embarrassing. And I said, I agree with you. And I said, the one thing that I, you know, and I said, the other thing that I'm thinking about here though is, if anyone would ever judge that, what they're doing is, they're taking glory away from God. Because this is not really our story to own. This is God's story. And there's things that God wants to do in your life. I'm telling you guys, it's not yours. It's not yours to not share. It's God's. And anytime we start taking away the glory that should go to God, you need to be very careful. Because this is all about God. This is why we were created. And this is why, you know, this is why God saved us. And this is essentially our, our you know, what it's all about. Listen, I want to share with you, though. It all comes down to this whole concept of love, trust, and obey. But I want to share with you this. this uh, now, let me ask you this question real quick. I just shared with you how I prayed, right? At the beginning of this, I shared with you how I prayed. And then I shared with you how God answered the prayer. Not my way. Let me ask you this. Which one brings God more glory? You know, we ended, hey, God, you know, and it would have been cool if I went to the mailbox and got a check for that exact number, right? That exact number. That would have been really cool, too. But you're telling me this doesn't bring God more glory where I'm saying, look how God, look, look how God answered it. It's so much, so much bigger. Listen to what, listen to, to um, I'm going to share with you Psalm 51 if you would turn there with me very quickly. Psalm 51, it's a prayer that David had after he committed uh, an incredible sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he was the king of Israel at the time. And he, he fell. I mean, he fell. He committed adultery. He murdered. He lied. He cheated. I mean, this dude was in over his head. And, and uh, the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you know, pretty much confronted him uh, through, the power, through the power of God. And David pins out this, this, this psalm, Psalm 51 to God. And he says this, For I was a sinner, picking up verse 5, he says, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep me... Don't." Keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then in verse 10, create in me what? A clean heart. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal, loyal spirit with me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Flip over to um, Psalm 71 very, uh, real quick. I love this one because this one goes against our good, feel-good theology. Psalm 71, verse 20 says this. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But Psalm 71, verse 20 says this. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship. That goes against our feel-good theology, doesn't it? 
You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me, you will restore me life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Verse 22, Then I will praise you with music on the harp because you are faithful to your promises, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. And he goes on and on talking about how he is going to celebrate and give God his glory because he went through a hard time and God delivered him. Guys, there was a time in David's life too where the Ark of the Covenant, we've, we've, we've read about that before, but the Ark of the Covenant was captured by another nation and they got it back. And as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in, which represented God, they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, back to Jerusalem. And when they were bringing it in, David the king, the king, was out dancing and flailing and just giving God all kinds of glory, singing praises to God, essentially making a spectacle of himself to where one of his wives said just that. David, are you kidding me? You're the king of this nation, and yet you look like a spectacle. And he says this, you think that's bad? I will become even more undignified than this. David had it. To the point to where this cat committed adultery, committed murder, lied, cheated, did all those things, and yet God was able to look into David's life at one point and say, this man is after my own heart. I think David got it. I think David realized that he had an idol set up at one point in time. He said, God, come into my heart and clean it. Make it whiter than snow. God, renew my spirit within me. God, make it happen. And, and even as I go through all of this, God, I'm going to bring you glory and honor. And then last, I want to share with you a verse from Jeremiah 3.22. And this is really kind of where we're at today, ending up where we're at today. It says this, God says through Jeremiah, My wayward children, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Isn't that hope? Isn't that hope that, that when we get off base, when we get off kelter, when we get off path, when we get off the, you know, off to, wor- to where we know we should be and we kind of stand there? Have you ever had times in your life where you kind of just, you end up in a place, something happens, and you end up in a place, and you kind of look around and you're like, holy cow, how in the world did I get here? There's been times in my life, just like this is one of those times, but there's been times in my life where I've got off. I've got off the path to the point to where someone has come along beside of me and they nudged me back on the path and I sit there and I weep because I'm like, how can God love me so much that He doesn't give up on me? And they look at me and they say, because you're chosen. You're a chosen one. God loves you. And that's what this is. God's saying, I love you. I love you so much that I've purchased you. I've bought you. I sent my son to the cross to die for your sins so that I can have this incredible relationship with you and that I can bring glory to myself through you. By the way, again, that's why that's one of the reasons why um, Israel was supposed to be, that's what Israel was supposed to be back in the Old Testament, a microcosm of God's kingdom, where when people looked at the people of Israel and they would see this monotheistic nation, they would see God's written all over it. And that's our lives. And some of us need to take this verse at hand right now in Jeremiah 3.22 that says this, come back. Those of you with wayward hearts, come back. I love you. I love you. And restore that love, trust, and obey relationship with God. Um, those of us on staff and the elders, we are finishing up a study uh, called 
Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And at some point, I really want to roll that out to you guys. I don't know what format that's going to look like, but it's a very intentional study. And one of the things that just hammers on from the very start throughout the whole study is this intimate love relationship with God. It all goes back to that intimate love relationship with God to where we're so intimately in love with Him that we just naturally trust and obey Him. But there's times we get off. And we need to come back. And we need to identify those idols within our hearts that we've erected that's taken the place of God. Now, if you're sitting in here this morning, you're saying, I don't think I have those idols, you know, uh, because I don't have anything crazy out there that's, you know, because we always picture idols as being things that are really big and wild, right? Guys, they can be good things. They can be things that are, that are, that are good. We, we've got a list on a whiteboard in our office that just keeps, again, keeps swelling and swelling and swelling with things that we put in place of God or put ahead of God. Things that we trust in more than we do God. And so I, I just um, pray that you will stick with us through this whole idol series. I pray today that you would uh, stop and you would kind of take a critical look at your heart. That you would literally cry out to God, pray to God right now and asking Him, God, do, does my life really bring you glory? God, are there things within my life, are there, are there idols within my life that prevents me from, bringing, from truly bringing you the glory that you so deserve? And I pray that that, might, that that would be a prayer of yours today and this week. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and this message is weighing heavily upon you because God is reaching into the depths of your soul and He's saying, it's time. Come back. Don't, don't leave here. Settle it today. Pray. Have that prayer. I'd love to pray with you. Pray in your seat, wherever, but don't miss this opportunity to give it back to God and say, God, you know, because He loves you and He wants you to um, have that incredible, intimate love relationship with Him. So I pray that you would just stick with us uh, in this series. Be excited about it. Pray about it. Continue to think about it through the week. We've got some stickers that um, the ushers are going to have at the doors that simply say, love, trust, obey. Things to just draw our attention, our minds back on them. And as you leave here, they're going to have some in their hand. You can grab a couple, uh, take, stick them on your refrigerator, stick them in places where you're going to see it, love, trust, and obey. Uh, Because it does. It starts with that intimate relationship with God, loving Him with all of our, every aspect of our beings. I'm going to close with a word of prayer if you would stand with me and just close our time out here today. And uh, so just please just bow your heads and your hearts with me as as I lead us in that word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the words that you had for us This morning, God, I know that they're very challenging. I know, God, that there are things that we hold on to that that have become idols. And it's going to be very difficult to take them and sacrifice them to you. To the point where we're going to ask ourselves, how can we live without it? And I pray, God, that you would begin that work within our heart. God, I already know that you have. Father, I already know that you have just like you did with me. I know that there are people in here today that are restless because this has been something that's been pressing upon them for a while now. God, make it known to them. Make it very clear to them what what their next steps need to be. I pray that your spirit would have freedom within our hearts. I pray that we would surrender things that we have erected in our hearts that are preventing you from having full reign.
God, encourage us, um, those that need to be encouraged. God, convict the ones that need to be convicted. God, just have your way right now. And as we, as, as we pray this prayer, help us to continue to think about it this week. Let us just encounter you in a very um, profound, intimate way as we diligently try to serve you. And I ask all this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.